You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 144. For this edition of Look at My Records, I chatted with Omar and Nicole of the Bay Area band Worth It Purchase. The duo just released their debut album, Dizzy Age, last week, and it's a gorgeous record full of warm, arresting, experimental pop. During our conversation, we reminisced about how the two met on a SoundCloud comment thread back in 2015, the process behind recording Dizzy Age late at night at San Francisco's Tiny Telephone Studio, the inspiration behind the album's themes of yearning for the past, and much more. We'll dive into the interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look At My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. also encourage you to check out the Look At My Records website, where you can find reviews, premieres of new songs, specially curated playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right, I'm here with Omar and Nicole of Worth It Purchase. I hope you're both staying safe. It's been a crazy year. You put out your debut album as Worth It Purchase, Dizzy Age. How have you been spending your time? Quarantine has kind of eased up, but prior to that, many people were basically locked indoors. Were you writing new music, doing other recording projects, things like that? What were, how, were, how were you spending your time during that period? Yeah, I, I started the quarantine living in San Francisco. And I actually graduated from the school stuff I was doing. Well, congratulations. There. Thank you, man. And have since moved kind of back to, or just like in general, just moved to Los Angeles. And I kind of like, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sticking to myself like down here, but in, a, in some ways I've kind of forgot that there's a quarantine happening, but in other ways, it's like, how could you forget? You know, but yeah, working on a lot of like remote music and just Nicole's coming here in like a week and we're going to be working on some new stuff. Yeah, so I was writing a few songs and Omar and I at the beginning of quarantine like hadn't seen each other at all. We were just totally self-isolating and then it had gotten to a point where we had both had like a few songs and we are like, I've been quarantining you've been quarantining should we just record <laughs> and so we went to the tiny telephone and recorded um, a few songs but totally safely tried not to go too crazy with it but yeah we've been recording some new stuff lately and we have even more songs and are gonna record even more soon cool did you find the circumstances made you explore maybe different sounds different sounding music that you weren't previously writing or things like that a little bit we have a a collection of some new songs that are you know like post dizzy age 
and none of them have a drum set on them because it felt just motivation is at an all-time low <laughs> setting up a, a kit in the other room and like a bunch of mics and like checking a kit we i, uh, I bought a sampler i bought an octatrack and the uh a lot of the new songs they're all just sequenced uh programmed drums and a couple of the sounds like we started pulling samples from dizzy age and like like just like messing them up and trying to use them to like make these new songs that's been like a a change and also we tried we started trying to work a lot faster we have these songs from quarantine era that all of them were just recorded in one day like the whole song and we just tried to like leave them yeah it's honestly for me quarantining has been i've kind of forgotten about it because I've moved to Seattle for the summer with my parents, just like while things ease down and I don't know anybody here, so I've just been writing music <laughs> and it's just, it's pretty cool. There's no pressure from like any outside forces. So I'm just gonna, I'm excited to meet up with Omar again and start recording. Cool. And yeah, that, that probably sounds a lot different than Dizzy Edge for sure. Yeah, yeah. Dizzy Edge was this like, God, it's funny, like referring to it as like a thing, but it really was just like our our way of. I don't know. For, I, it, for me, I had just started working, kind of like officially at at the studio in San Francisco called Tiny Telephone, and it was my like entry point of the studio was to basically like make a record at night, when uh, the studio was like vacant, when the rooms were available. So it like when I listen to Dizzy Age, it's just me and Nick trying to figure out how to do everything but it's also like the most like maximalist record that I've ever made because I'm totally. used to just like being my own band but I think there's an element of like me and Nicole we're just like get literally given the keys to this place so we were like we're just gonna deck it out it's also the longest like we've spent on anything I think longest I've spent on a single project well, it was over a year, but it was like, it was really spotty. Like, we took long breaks and stuff, but. And I think the songwriting style has changed a little bit too, where it feels a little bit more open to have more stripped down songs. And so some of like, especially the songs that Omar has written lately are mostly just guitar and vocals with not much else going on. Um, just to let the songs kind of speak for themselves a little bit. Yeah, and it's super maximalist sounding, like you said. But before we get into Dizzy Edge, I am curious about the origin story between the two of you. I know multiple things I've read have said you met in the comment section of, I guess, a SoundCloud song. What made you two want to collaborate with each other initially? Well... I had written this song called Julian when I was like 14 and Omar commented on it, commented on it and he was like, yo, we gotta meet. <laughs> and I was like, okay, um, I have no friends, so yeah. And um, so that happened and then he ended up, like a few months after we've been like talking and became friends, he ended up sending me just like a total cover that was like fully produced of Julian and he was like and he was singing on it and he was like 
hey, I have this cover. And I was like, oh my God, this is like amazing. Like, can I, can we like use this? And he's like, yes, let's like swap out my vocals for yours. And then we can just like do that. And so we did that. And then we just started recording more and more songs together. And that just kind of became a thing. Yeah, totally like virtual meet and greet. I know, I know, I knew that at the time, like we had mutual friends, but I, I didn't know who Nicole was. And I, someone shared my music with Nicole or shared Nicole's music with me. And like, we found each other's music and we just started talking on the internet. Yeah. What was it about that first song that you heard that struck you uh, um, so significantly? I think like... Uh, the thing that I love about Nicole's like singing is like her delivery. So probably that just like the way it's like handed off to the listener. I think it, it was just like very, um, I don't know, just very like direct and like kind of like intimate in a way. Cool. Yeah, totally. could hear that on Dizzy Age as well. And good transition because I did want to ask you about the previous project you two collaborated on you collaborated under the name glasson garçon great name oh, yeah. and i was listening to it and i really liked the songs a lot it's really cool sounding nicole you sing in both english and french on them and you pieced it together via email and recorded different parts at different studios in different places i'm curious why you decided to put that project to bed since it's the two of you and then start this new project worth it purchase i feel like i can hear some similarities but dizzy age i think does sound a lot more fleshed out and maximalist like you had said in comparison so i was just curious why you decided to start a new under a new name well okay basically the shorthand is that nicole was in paris like visiting some family and just just right you're just like posted in paris yeah and well you should tell the story okay so so alex g was having like um, <laughs> he was having like a free like one man show like it was just him and i was like oh my god i gotta go to this so i went and it was just totally intimate and like afterwards he was just kind of like standing outside the bar that he was playing at and like people would just go up and talk to him and so I was like talking to him about um House of Sugar and I was like oh like blah 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 blah. I was asking him about the recording process and he was like oh like you know about recording and I was like oh yeah like I have a, I have a project and he's like oh what's it called and I was like it's called Les Son Garçon and he was just like what <laughs> and I was like I had to like repeat the name. He was like, "Oh, what's comme des garçons?" And I was like, "That's that's a streetwear brand, or that's like a brand of clothing." And like, I realized that he would never remember that name, and like, so many people would probably never remember that name because it's just like in French. And I was like, "We gotta change." I have like friends in France, but they sing in English, and I was like, "Why am I singing in French?" And like, some of the French is honestly like broken French because. I would mess up when I was recording and I'd be like, well, the vocals sound good. So I'm just going to keep this broken French take. I was just like, this is kind of messy. We should just sing in English. And like, 
Omar came to me and he was like, we were talking about what to change the band name to because I was like, I think we should change the band name. He was like, me too. And then he was, I was like, do you have any ideas? And he was just like, he came to me with the name Worth It Purchase and I was just, I just thought it sounded so good. Like just how the words sounded together. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't like the worth the purchase at first, but my friend Adam convinced me that it was a legitimate name. But it, it was honestly just like we had we played at some shows as Croissant Garçon where um, there was this one show where one of my friends made us croissants, or and they just like made croissants and like brought croissants to the show, and then after that like some of my friends would just refer to our band as Croissant Croissant. <laughs> <laughs> like after that, it was just like this name will never stick. You know, so we just decided to change the name because it was confusing and um, we had just like changed what we wanted to do. Glasson Glasson was this like, like very much like bedroom pop, like yeah. pretending to be a band and like I'm playing like all these instruments, but like it and like some of it was like over like virtual exchange. It I think felt, we just changed the vibe. Yeah, completely. it felt like with Glasson Glasson there was this like unspoken thing that I had to write all the songs and Omar had to do all the producing and it just like Omar had some great songs and then I was like I don't know there's just this weird structure of that project that I didn't like and it felt outdated and it was all just based on the fact that Omar had come to me fully produced Julian and all I did was like sing that song and it just felt weird having him produce all my songs and just kind of like sitting back and not really doing anything and then he had great songs that were just like couldn't I know that weren't a part of the project and like why yeah. aren't we just both doing this 50 50 like we both produce we both write the songs well a lot of it was that just like I took I had like my, this other band at the time called Kittinger that I was just like, I don't know. I, when I was in high school, I had like too many projects and me and my friends had too many bands. And yeah. I was just like, dude, all eggs in one basket. Omar had like, Every other band can die. Omar had like <laughs> three bands of just him and one guy, but it was like all different projects. It was him and our friend Eric. And they would have like a bunch of different bands, but it was just the same two people. Well, we were really, really, really into like Mad Lib having like 50 fake names and fake bands and i was just like we sh we just gotta do that but yeah i don't know it's just a complete overhaul of Gaston Gaston. yeah i could see that it seems like you had new ideas on a lot of different levels including your approach to the project so you wanted a fresh start that's cool it's always interesting to hear reasons why musicians artists decide to make a, a name changer things like that so it's cool to hear what went into that she recorded dizzy age at tiny telephone legendary uh, bay area studio and you record you know it's all analog so you recorded to tape i'm curious prior to interning and working at tiny telephone because i know you you both also have i guess worked there what were your experiences working within the tape medium were you people that ever experimented with like Tascam four tracks or things like that or was this really your first foray into analog recording um i don't think nick really ever had any any analog not a uh, not at experience <laughs> to say but i i mean i had owned a couple tape machines and like fooled around with tape machines and had kind of fooled around with like live to two track stuff before 
but the thing that was really big about um like how we made the record at tiny was that it just really forced us to commit and it really forces you to work harder because you're like on this linear format right to to kind of like do things that you would normally do or to be more interesting i don't know it base a lot of it is when i think back about the record is i think about like the hardest part for us was always like getting the bass takes and just getting like the really solid double track vocal or like the really solid like double tracked guitars recording live or like getting the kick to like is a kick in phase is the kick out of phase i don't know it sounds good both ways like what do we do <laughs> you know the hardest part about about the tape thing actually no i think the hardest part about the tape thing was mixing to half inch tape like we recorded on two inch tape like a stereo or like a 24 track multi-track thing and then we mixed through a console down to a two track stereo like mix so like at the very end of the project kind of like a year ago probably like last winter i was just going crazy trying to mix this record and i was still like getting comfortable working in the a room at tiny and there was something about like there are just certain things with the mixes that i uh, was kind of confused by and you're you're basically like setting up the entire console like for the night and then you like print a mix or you like print two mixes and you like just transfer it at like 2 a.m. and you just like listen to it on the drive home and you're like, okay, did I like get that right? Because yeah. if I did, it's sitting on the reel in the studio. And if not, like I just have to go back tomorrow night, put the reel back on, reset the console and like roll over it just until you get the mix that you're looking for. And I think we, we really learned that there's there's like no such thing as a remix. Like it's, it's always just another mix. It, it'll never, even if you're like, I know exactly what I did. I put this here, I put that there, I did this. And you go back and you recall it and it, it'll just like be different. And a lot of the times if we did several mixes, we would just like roll back to the first mix, you know? Yeah, and there's a lot of commitment to it too because of the permanence, you can't just like hit undo. Sometimes you just completely destroy a great take. <laughs> if, if I'm like- Yeah, I definitely- rolled over a couple things on accident yeah. obviously making the record all sorts also, of all sorts of careless errors also great things in those that came out of those careless errors so just like finding new things because we were both just omar's worked on it before but i never have and so it was my first time like getting used to that sort of mindset and the constraints of analog and i thought that it did a lot of great things for the record just that learning process. Yeah, totally. And listening to Dizzy Age, it's a gorgeous, really layered, expansive sounding record. I know in a previous interview, you had mentioned that you captured some glockenspiel that Nicole was playing on at a certain time. She didn't even know you were recording it. So that kind of yeah. random experimentation that you can capture in the analog studio and then really mess with it how much of that happened on the record and how how much of it was kind of this random experimentation i think the, the record is totally shaped by us being clueless and like experimenting like like i knew how to like we had the outlines of the songs we had like the melodies and the words and we could like play the parts like you know we could play the drum part we could like knew it knew what we wanted but as far as like how did we want to get it onto the tape deck or like how did we want to process it on the way in and like i don't know we just started really throwing down a lot and just started like 
cutting away and like editing stuff because so much of it was going in. I don't, I don't know. We, I think it was just really informed by us, like experimenting and like trying just to confuse each other. <laughs> Maybe because like we were confused by things along the way. Yeah, know. a lot of it was just like trying to prove our ideas to each other that they sounded good, and so we would record it, and it would end up sounding pretty good, and we would just keep it and go off of that one idea that we had, and that would like yeah. kind of help us produce the rest of the song. Yeah, and you recorded most of these songs at night, and a lot of them definitely have that kind of ethereal, dreamlike nighttime feel to them when you listen to them there's certain parts that really are very dreamlike how do you think the nature the nature of the sessions mainly you know that they were recorded at night and in the early morning hours shaped the sound of the album if it did at all that makes me think about like kevin Shields saying that he would just like make belinda butcher like wake up and just start singing yes and yes I, dude that's like, exactly I that what i thought of. i don't know did that happen <laughs> there was probably one part where i was like nicole you have to get in there and you were like asleep there were so many times that that's happened <laughs> <laughs> yes i'd be getting home from like work and school or not getting home <laughs> just going straight to the studio from work and school and then I just have to record and I'd be kind of falling asleep the whole time. And then Omar would be like, Nicole, come on. <laughs> come on. Maybe come on, get in there, sing, sing that take, sing those fly in vocals. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that also that just adds to the part where like I mean the record's called Dizzy Age. It's about just like being overwhelmed and confused. And a lot of the time when we were in the studio, like, you know, like, granted, we knew what we wanted and like, we knew what we were doing. I think we were just, I don't know, I don't want to make it sound like we're just like, we were helpless making this or something. But we were definitely just like, Nicole, just trust me, just like sing this thing like six times, like, just do it. <laughs> and it's like, you're just just like really late and you're just like trying stuff. I, I don't know if it has like a like a nighttime sound or anything to me personally. But uh. I think it, it just like is another layer of like how we were feeling when we were making it, which was just like, wow, life is insane. Yeah, totally. I could pick up on that. I wanted to talk about the themes of the record and other things that you addressed in the, the lyrics. A lot of it seems to reflect on the past, certain songs. It's particularly poignant for right now, but it's also kind of part of something that happens when you're coming of age when you're getting older that you reflect on the past and you long for the past especially when the present time is a little chaotic and you don't know what's going on in your life or in the world uh, what were you going through personally or feeling when you wrote these songs that kind of string together that theme for sure like a large thing for me was that i was like the songs i was writing at the time were like like my dad had just passed away and my grandfather I'm very sorry to hear that yeah thanks dude um my grandfather had passed away very recently after my dad and the thing is things were just like very shaky for me i think that informs a lot of what i was talking about in the record and then at the same time like me and nicole had kind of just like readjusted like our relationship with each other and i think that that's like probably pretty evident in the songs so it was just like a complete overhaul of like the structure of my life for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, Omar and I 
were dating for like a year and a half before and then we broke up and a lot of the songs are kind of about dealing with like the kind of neglect that you feel towards someone when that happens and just trying to get over it. it's just like the stages of grief honestly because um, he was still my best friend like he's, he'll always be my best friend but it was just like hard trying to like because we were going to go on tour right after we broke up and we still did and so it was like me trying to speed through the process of dealing with a breakup by writing songs about it and just about feeling like lost and not just because of a breakup but yeah so I just moved to San Francisco for the first time after having lived in one place my entire life having had the same friends for a long time and just being used to the same type of people and I moved to the city and everybody's just so different from what I'm used to everything is so different from what I'm used to and it's just about the adjustment and having to accept that nothing's ever going to be the same again when you go back home it's not going to be the same it's not going to feel like home anymore and you're just going to have to realize that everything you've ever experienced when you're younger is just like a distant memory and it's nothing that you'll ever feel again and you just have to accept that <laughs> and so it's a lot about that like going back to the same parks i would hang out with my friends at and it's just like not the same at all everyone's so different everything's so different yeah it's great and i really felt like that came through and it's such a relatable experience i know myself have gone through that too so it's definitely a message that resonates through the record it's cool it's very well but done is a, we i kind of think i think that we were talking a few weeks ago and we realized that the record is really just this like big uh like coping mechanism for us to like look back at it's just like a diary of a lot of stuff that was happening at the time that we just kind of like mythologized or like tried to write about in certain ways. Yeah, I really like the second single, Prospect Heights, because I'm pretty sure it references the neighborhood in Brooklyn. 100%. Did, <laughs> yeah, which, totally. where I Where I'm from. So I, oh. I just like what experiences informed that song lyrically. Dude, that song is is about me going to um brooklyn new york last summer it's the first time i had ever been to new york and it was just felt it was like during a heat wave and it was just super overwhelming and very hot and at the time i was honestly kind of like coming through this like like tunnel visiony like really like anxious like borderline like hypochondriac like type of mental health sitch just from my life kind of being a little like upside down. And I just, I, I went to, I was staying in the basement of this house in like Prospect Park or like Prospect Lefferts. And I remember the first night I like tried to go to sleep in that house. I'm in the basement. I didn't realize that like the headboard of the bed ran like perpendicular to like where the G ran like underground <laughs> i just remember like trying to go to bed and like it felt like the g was just like running like through my head or like running like through the room and i just like never experienced that i'm just like what the heck is this and i that song is just kind of like this like again kind of like mythologizing or like expanding on this kind of like very like not like like it's definitely kind of like magical realism the idea of like 
I don't know. It kind of just like maybe like the train represents like being like anxious or something or it's really just about me trying to like remedy being in this place that feels like kind of intense but like trying to like make the best of it i don't know being in new york wasn't like all all, all bad but it, it just felt like really intense for me at the time so i, I kind of like wrote that about it yeah it's it's an intense place yeah <laughs> i don't know it feels kind of melodramatic honestly to to like when, when i say all that you know but i i like I don't know. I like the idea of like this train being like super intense or something. And then I wrote, I wrote the choruses from like Omar's perspective of like, which I thought was kind of like, I was like, I don't know if this is weird for you, but like we didn't have like, we kind of just had these empty parts in that song that like weren't written yet, but we had recorded his vocals already. And so I was like, <laughs> maybe I should write something for these empty spots. And so I came up with like a melody one day and I texted him like a voice memo of it. <laughs> and I was like, hey, is this weird that I like am writing from like your insecurities maybe? <laughs> and he was like, oh no, it's cool, let's record it. <laughs> and so that's what that part was. That's cool. So do you, when you write lyrics sometimes, do you try to write from someone else's perspective? And Omar, do you think she was kind of spot on as far as what she was she's getting at i think usually we come from like the the school of thought of this like canterbury like song like storytelling like very like direct like most things are probably from our perspective like i don't write a lot of songs that i'm where i'm like talking about something like fictional or like someone it's generally like, like pretty rooted in my life i think that's like kind of a thing for nick too but yeah, I, I, I like how we kind of, Nick kind of just took this song and just like, I, I just like left these blank sections and I was like, Nick, you should just like fill these in. And we just kind of like wrote the, wrote the song together, but completely separately in a way. We kind of, we just like kind of cut up the sections and just like threw them in. But yeah, I think Nicole totally knew like what was going on in my life at the time. <laughs> I think like, before I never really wrote anything except from personal experiences but since being in quarantine I've had no personal experiences because <laughs> I was in school quarantining and then I was now I'm just living with my parents I feel like a baby like I don't know anybody here and so what I've been doing a lot of is I've been I've been just like reading a lot of books and taking those as inspiration like as if it happened to myself and just a lot of concepts of things that maybe have happened to me but then I'll blow it into something that totally didn't happen to me I guess cool recording and working at tiny telephone since I believe you both also worked at tiny telephone how were your experiences working there on other people's projects How'd that influence your approach to recording music, philosophy surrounding it, Think basically experiences that you took to your own project for this record? Well, so I never actually worked at Tiny Telephone. I, You could say that I like quote unquote interned, interned there because I've sat in on a few sessions, but I've never actually had the opportunity to have enough experience there to record people. But Omar can definitely speak on that 
for for me it's it's just like a reminder that so much of what you're doing has nothing to do with like music or sound and and to do with like how you how you engage with people and kind of like your like your attitude about like what you're doing and it's like a lot of other f like practice forms kind of like i don't know it's different like me and nicole have this like total telepathy thing just from knowing each other for so long and working on so much together but uh i mean in terms of like like straight up engineering things like i don't think much changes but it, it does give me this ability when i'm like when me and nicole are in the studio if i'm like you know uh like have the reins for the for whatever like i i definitely know how to like get around things like a lot faster like when you're doing someone for a band it's like the assumption that like they don't know how to punch themselves in or like they don't know how to like do x y or z and it just gives me this like freedom and this like clarity when i'm in there to like execute things that like i so i don't have to do this like translation thing and there's also this thing where like i trust nicole's like outlook and vision on things so that if i'm wrapped up trying to like come up with an idea or like finish an idea or i just need nicole to come in and just like wrecking ball whatever i'm doing it's like she knows how to do that um that was something that we definitely like put together more and more as we were recording there were times where i was like nicole can you like go grab that thing and like patch it in or like do this and sometimes like things would get like mismatched or but sometimes it would make something really cool or sometimes we, it would just like like we would just have to figure out how to navigate stuff but definitely like now when we work together it just like allows us to to like navigate things quicker and it, it just like allows us to spend less time on like oh is the mic loud enough like for the tape machine so that it sounds good and just lets us do more like weird things because we don't have to worry about the kind of like the standard stuff like we get to try try more things honestly yeah and this was recorded at uh, the san francisco location right 110 percent. cool so you're probably one of the last handful of artists to record something at that studio since it's closing or has closed definitely how did that feel that must have been cool because of the history with the studio and all the great artists that have recorded there and what are some of the things that you think made that space uh special um for well straight up i think like time telephone san francisco was like a super super curated place and like like an obvious like like outposts like safe haven for creatives who couldn't afford to book like 25th street or hyde street or you know like bigger studios in the bay area but also didn't want to just like record in a bedroom it really was this like middle ground like reachable like affordable yeah space for a lot of people to make things and i think it was really well curated like you could walk into the studio like with without anything you don't have to worry about honestly like engineering there for so long there's so many times where like a band would if like a band came in with instruments it was just gonna be more annoying <laughs> because like everything at the studio just sounds really good and you don't have to like worry about stuff like that so it definitely i don't know i just think it was like it, it was definitely like a really important place but yeah all the all of the the free tea 
and like the fact that it literally was like underneath a freeway at the end of this like weird long cul-de-sac that looked like the end of the world like totally dystopian yeah in a way like working with omar and him being an engineer there it felt like i was got more experience working with analog and just the tactility of it you get to like touch the compressor rather than like touch your mouse and then you're like turning it up it helped me a lot understand what i was doing like digitally and on a computer and i think that helped me a lot and just yeah we the more we would record together and all those annoying things that we would have to go through the faster we ended up taking just to like do simple things like set up and so we could just get going fast it was definitely just like a very group home environment where all the engineers were like great friends and they would all leave their own instruments there and share their instruments and there was a lot of trust and just warmth in that studio that made the recording experience just so homey and comfortable i feel like i remember the first time i ever visited omar and i like walked in on a session that john vanderslice was doing and he just was like they were about to go to lunch and he was like oh i'll just drive us all to lunch and so he packed all of us in like a tiny car, which was like totally illegal. But we all just like went and got ours and Mendy's and it was just a great time. It was probably seven of us actually, <laughs> yeah. man. Cause six is like not that big a deal in the Corolla. Definitely Damn. lab sitting going on there. <laughs> but. That's cool. Yeah. I talked to John Vanderslice for this show about a month ago and he's really super nice, smart guy all around awesome person he was honestly he listened to our last glass on garçon record and omar and i were at lunch with him and he said you know there's so many bands with bass guitar drums like how many times can you do it over again and omar and i were like wait we need to stop doing this and we need to expand like our palette a little bit more and that's also what inspired a lot of the new worth it purchase stuff i think yeah definitely inspired the new new stuff at first we like we took that advice from john honestly like pretty hard where i'm like pretty sure this is still accurate i don't think there's a moment on dizzy age where there's like a drum set bass guitar and an electric guitar all like happening at the same time which to me i was just like i don't want that there's maybe there's like weird like keyboard bass and like a guitar that's not really like playing a guitar part and like a drum set or like a bass guitar and like a drum set but not like a rhythmic guitar part we just really wanted to like break that up and that also like like we were supposed to be on tour like like a week or two ago i guess and i was like really excited for us to like have to or like get to like reimagine these songs with uh like with that in mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because that has to be challenging. The songs on Dizzy Age, you know, very complex and to package them for the live setting. Did you think about that at all yet? Have you worked that stuff out or is that something that's going to happen in the coming months? Well, we're not even living in the same city right now, which is a bummer. But (laughs) I think that was part of why I bought I bought a sequencer, like a sampler, like kind of in the the winter time, because I was like, I want to start playing shows with Nick and like, I can kind of like 
use the sequencer as like th the third member of the band to like do some of the work and but like when we were playing we were just traveling with two guitars two amps and uh two mics mm, and a drum machine yeah yeah and just trying to really strip one. it down i think i think honestly like we could just i would be happy if every time we played we just played with like two acoustic guitars and like a Casio tone for a couple songs and just like delivered the songs in like the rawest form. Part of that is just really exciting to me, you know? Yeah, there's something very raw and intimate about that too. You know, the rawest form of the song in its purest sense. And it's also cool to really flesh it out and have a lot going on like you did on the record with the recorded versions. Yeah, I think Omar and I made it a point not to hide behind the production and we really are honestly very hard on each other about the songs that we write and we want to make sure that they can stand alone on their own before even trying to produce them because if they can't then it's just going to be so much harder to work on them yeah and that's honest that's just like a selfish thing i think is like we just don't want to work on stuff that we're not really feeling like we we bailed on a several several tunes like i don't know at least like part of us working on tape was like i only had one reel of tape and uh like we were just we rolled over a couple tunes just to to make room for new tunes yeah. on the reel so some live on in, in memory some some don't make nope. the cut some literally it's don't, just the they don't make the second reel <laughs> exactly <laughs> they don't make the cut literally they get cut, <laughs> they get cut. All right. So, Dizzy Age is available on 7-inch Lathe Cut Records. You could get it at worthitpurchase.bandcamp.com. And there's four songs on the Lathe Cut from the record, yes. right? Yes. I think it's it's just our highlights of the record. It's uh, Dizzy Age. Oh, it's Turnaround, which is the, the first track. Um, Dizzy Age, Prospect Heights, and the, uh, the last track, My Whole Life. Cool. Yeah. And you're donating 50% of profits to the Anti-Police Terror Project. Super important organization in this time of social change. Tell me a little bit about why you selected that organization specifically. Um, for me, at least, they were just like one of the organizations that was kind of like pointed to my attention kind of like a long time ago. And I just kept up with them and it feels like they're they're just like a total like beacon of like knowledge and insight and like sometimes like really productive change that is just inspiring i feel like it's really easy to just look like i don't know we need we need smaller groups and bigger groups and like lots of people like trying to move stuff around but yeah totally i don't know maybe it was, it was kind of like just a, an easy pick for them because i they're like thoroughly vetted to me that like they yeah they're great. Yeah, and I think it was important for us to donate to some to an organi an organization that caused yeah. immediate change, and like our, we knew that our money that we were donating was going directly towards the change that was happening constantly and continually, and to a very important and timely cause. Yeah, it, it definitely felt like really important for us to consider like reallocating. Um, portion of the profits from this and also like just thinking about the people who are like 
buying the record just to support us or buying the record knowing that some of it is going somewhere it just feels like a lot of people at least in the bay area like know about anti-terror and just are like down with that you know that's very awesome that you're doing that all right so without further ado we're going to hear four songs from worth it purchases new album dizzy age we're going to hear the title track and first single dizzy age we'll follow that up with prospect heights the second single from the record and then the first song turnaround and the last track on the album my whole life we'll be back There's an energy that's keeping me from 
feel for I'm not sure what I'm here for Just somebody for you to heal for Some kids are orchids Some they're just fine Growing up in a greenhouse Closed off inside All the time Feeling like an archetype
Welcome back. We just heard four songs from Worth It Purchases' brand new album, Dizzy Age. We specifically heard the four songs that appear on a special limited edition 7-inch lathe cut vinyl. The lead single from the album and title track, Dizzy Age. The second single, Prospect Heights. The first song on the record, Turnaround. And the last song my whole life so grab your copy at worthitpurchase.bandcamp.com they're almost sold out all right now we'll be transitioning to the second portion of the program where omar and nicole picked some records from my record collection we're going to talk about them and play them we've got four record picks starting with it's Gonna Find You by the Spirit of the Beehive off of Hypnic Jerks. I love this album. It's an awesome album. Nicole, what do you like about this song on this record? I just, I love how so many of their songs off of the record, just in general, have so many different sections. And they play so much with dynamics and textures and... Yeah, I just, the song in particular is just one that I thought was, was great. I, I honestly like all of them equally, though. <laughs> yeah, I think it's sick that the entire... Uh, yeah, this is a great record. Oh yeah. record, of, record of that year, probably. What, 2018? Record of 2018? Yeah. Oh, yeah, like each song just is constructed in a way where it's just so unpredictable. And because there's so many ideas in every song that are just like, it, it just sounds like you're listening to like a bunch of different songs maybe in one that are constructed into just three minutes. And oh yeah, it's just like the best for like year candy to me. It's just really great. <laughs> I think the, the, the whole record, especially like the, honestly the whole record, but definitely the kind of the last half, it just does like, the Abbey Road medley, you know, where all the songs are just like, you could be like, oh, this song's over, like the new, a new song has started, but it's like still the same track in, in a, like your library, <laughs> you know? And I remember talking, maybe it's like Spencer or John about it. And I think we just came up with the conclusion, like maybe the only way you can get away with like right now, like drums, bass, guitar, like da 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 da, like we're a band, is just like aggressively changing keys and just having like fucked up forms and 
they they just totally illustrate that to me. And the lyrics on the record too are just sometimes they're just comical. Yeah. <laughs> and this one in particular is almost like a horror film. Just it's like violent shakes, blood, just all this different stuff. And there's times where is it the basses? She just sings so mm -hmm. quietly in that song, and it just just ties it all together yeah. for me. Great. It's such a good tune. It's such a powerful closer. Awesome. Up next, Animal Collective, Winter's Love, my favorite song from <laughs> Sung Tongs, released back in 2004. This is a this is a heavy heavy Nicole pick. I'm going to let Nick speak on this one. Oh yeah. This song I heard for the first time when I was like on the school bus. I think when I was 13 <laughs> and I just had my headphones on and I was like, it was like the sun was going down and I was and it was during the winter too and it just like you can feel like the crisp air against you basically when you're listening to the song and how it changes from such like a winsome tune to going into this almost where the wild things are type of jam at the end yeah it feels like I'm a kid again and it just feels so magical with the guitars just against each other. They have the specific way of recording guitars where it sounds like it's tingling in your ears and they sound so twinkly. I know with their album Prospect Hummers, it does the same thing with the layering. And it's just like, it just does it for me. <laughs> it's just like where it's at. Yeah, it does it for me too, for sure. And like their way of just the singers, they just chant almost at the end of it. And like the uh, the, like that part too is just great. Just the layering of vocals, layering of guitars, the way they layer sounds is just so unique. And it's just so gorgeous. Yeah, highly agree. Like I think this was the first time I had ever listened to Animal Collective. Nicole had played me their EP Prospect Hummer, which I know they did at the same time or right after Sung Tongs. But that that EP has Fashi Banyan all over it. But uh, it just fits in the same like world sonically and kind of like just the vibe for me as like all of my favorite songs off Sung Tongs and just the whole record and it totally it's just so it's like it just its own world like how yeah it's like you're reading a storybook or something yeah. or you're living in yeah. it I don't know super magical yeah this record's a masterpiece I love it okay after Animal Collective. Trains Across the Sea by Silver Jews off of Starlight Walker. I think my favorite Silver Jews album. So good, good pick, Omar. Dude, it was between this one and uh, Advice to the Graduate, which I think is an underrated song. But uh, that's a really fucking good song. Yeah, on the last day of your life, don't forget to die. <laughs> oh, that's what I think about when I think about that song. It's such a good lyric. Honestly, I uh, I was late to the Silver Juice game. I didn't get into Silver Juice and David Burma's stuff till like last, probably like last year. I kind of probably started listening to it like in the spring, in the summer, and I just started getting like totally obsessed with it. And it felt like the thing, one of the things that I've been looking for like my whole life, this like magical realist, like funny, ironic kind of like sarcastic music and 
I just started getting really into him. I bought like all the records or I bought like a ton of the records and I bought his two books. And then like, I didn't even know that he was starting this new band called Purple Mountains. And I was so yeah. like looking forward to that record and like maybe going to see him at the chapel in San Francisco. And then uh, he came, came out that he died and it was just like super fucking heavy. And then I, at the same time I was talking so like John and John was like, yeah, David's just this like crazy, like anomaly. And it just felt like really intense as it did for everyone. I, it was kind of surreal, like how collective the impact uh, of the scene felt because he's just this like quiet hero, you know, but uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. His impact was really far reaching. And the songs that he wrote were so powerful. And it's it's so interesting because he, he really had these like ebbs and flows where, you know, he wasn't really writing or putting out music for a while. And then he put out the Purple Mountains record and it was incredible. So it just speaks to just really how special he was. Yeah. Yeah. I just picked this song because it it just sounds vignetted to me and it sounds like warped and sunset kind of like sparkly just like the way the record cover looks honestly it's just like a total easy introduction point for david berman yeah a absolutely and then we'll be wrapping up the set with weight of the planets by aldis harding off of designer Another incredible, credible record from Aldous Harding from New Zealand. Yeah, from way out there. Um, this song, I like didn't really get the Aldous Harding craze at first, to be honest. But I took one of my, I took a couple friends' words on it, and I went to see her play in San Francisco, and I was like immediately, I was just like. I completely get it. I think seeing Aldous Harding play in 2019 was one of the most arresting concerts I've ever seen in my entire life. It was, I was like completely <laughs> just enamored and like disarmed by her. And I totally understood her, her weird like character control. And it feels like she's just a hyper perceptive person because she's able to just like play all these characters and, but just still just be like, unlike anyone you know and uh the song is just cool and like so controlled and deliberate yeah i just think it's like one of the sneakier songs on the record maybe i don't know super sneaky song for sure i love it we're gonna hear it's gonna find you by the spirit of the beehive off of their album hypnic jerks winter's love by animal collective off of sunk Tongues, Trains Across the Sea by Silver Jews off of Starlight Walker, and Weight of the Planets by Aldous Harding off of Designer. You both did a fantastic job selecting records and saying why you selected them. And everyone, you're going to hear them right now.
don't know what's going to happen.
where I was before. Yes, sir. By the way, where were you before? Just take me there. Yes, sir.
troubles, no troubles on the line. And I can't stand to see you, I can't stand to see you when you're crying at home. Scotch and penicillin Please try Carlton A cold black maple hanger And husbands on the run I just got back from a dream attack That took me by surprise And in there I met a lady Her name was Shady Sides And she said Something so old be so wrong Sin and gravity drag me down to sleep To dream of trains across the sea Trains across the sea Seven years I've drunk 50,000 beers And they just wash against me Like the sea into a pier Psyching me out 
Welcome back. We heard Omar and Nicole's record picks. We heard Spirit of the Beehive at the top. Their song, I'm Not Gonna Find You, from their album, Hypnic Jerks. Then after that, we heard Winter's Love by Animal Collective off of their album, Sung Tongs. Then David Berman with Trains Across the Sea. Off of Starlight Walker, of course, David Berman performing as Silver Jews on that one. And then Weight of the Planets by Aldous Harding from New Zealand. Hey, Omar, Nicole, so wonderful having you on Look at My Records today. It was a pleasure, everyone. Their new album. Worth It Purchases new record, Dizzy Age, is out now. You can get it on limited edition lathe cut vinyl at worthitpurchase.bandcamp.com. That includes four songs from the album. Dizzy Age, Prospect Heights, Turn Around, and My Whole Life are on that. You could also get it at worthitpurchase.bandcamp.com digital download of course and of course it's also available on all streaming platforms so omar nicole any plans for the rest of the year you're gonna get back in the studio if you can to record new material do anything like that what's on the agenda i know there are limitations there's no live music right now but what what do you have planned well, Nick, Nicole is going to be in Los Angeles in uh, next week. And we have some time marked in the studio to do some recording. I think we're going to try and grab like a song each that we've uh, been writing the past couple of weeks and just try to fill them out. 
and then we're sitting mm -hmm. on another collection of songs that we're gonna I don't know if it'll definitely won't be out this year but we're gonna start gonna start thinking about it start making a little plan for it yeah, I have no idea what it's gonna be. <laughs> yeah. cool well I am very happy to have spoken with both of you, everyone again, worthitpurchase.bandcamp.com. And of course, as we mentioned earlier in the program, 50% of profits will be donated to the Anti-Police Terror Project. So that's a very, very worthy cause. And we're going to play one more song to end the show stop trick tell me a little bit about this tune before we play it i was remarking to you that i really love the guitars in the beginning really arresting <laughs> sounding and kind of sad sounding guitars that really make you feel a, a certain way and super powerful oh uh, thank you yeah i wrote this the guitar part probably like a year before i ended up turning it into a song and it was for like this girl was doing a short film and she was like please send in like submissions for like guitars that sound folksy or whatever and i was like oh i'm gonna write some folksy guitar i guess and so i did and i submitted it and then, like, she never got back to me so i just turned it into a song and um, uh yeah um, I wrote the lyrics and they didn't really make much sense and Omar like when I was presenting the song to him he was like oh I really like that part when you're saying this and I was like that's not what I said at all I said this and he was like oh and I was like but I like your misinterpretation of my lyrics better than my yeah, actual lyrics the song to so me the song that. is taking a nap too late in the day and you wake up and you don't know which way is up and what time it is, or if it's tomorrow, or if it's the it's same like when day. you watch three Lord of the Rings movies in one day. <laughs> <laughs> or that. It, to, to me, it's it's just this... I, I mean, the, the title of the song, Stop Trick, refers to like an old... Uh, like the old movie technique of, you know, you throw some sand at the floor, you stop the camera, you like throw more sand at the floor and a dude jumps out of the sand, you start the camera again. And it's like the idea of like, by starting and stopping the camera, you can do these practical effects. And there's this little, you know, little like movie, like surrealist movie lens kind of in the song. So yeah, another, another song that we kind of co-opted lyrics on. Cool, I love the song, it's awesome. One of many awesome songs on Worth It Purchase's new album, Dizzy Age. Everyone, again, worthitpurchase.bandcamp.com. And we're going to end the show with Stop Trick. Omar Nicole, thank you both very much for speaking with me. Thanks so much, Thank Tom. you so much for this. It's been, it's been great. great. <laughs>
screen.